0: Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? It has been a hustly, bustly week around here because school's starting this week for my kiddos and feast of fast starts, which by the way, it is not too late for you to join. If you're hearing this early in the week, we leave the doors open a couple extra days for you stragglers because we get it. And I know it's a really busy time of the year. But if you plan on eating, over the next four weeks, and I'm pretty sure that you are planning on eating, then um, you have time to come do Feast to Fast with us. It's just making better choices of what you're eating. So we're eating, we're not eating, we're fasting, and we're also just praising God for these awesome bodies that he has created. And it's also a really important time to be caring for these awesome bodies that God has created um, with all of this crazy health things going on in our world. And so I thought it would be very timely to have um, one of my favorite people, my colleague, my team member, Carly Stag, on today to talk about the immune system and how we can proactively take care of it. So I value Carly's um, insight and her expertise so much because she's also a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. She's an RN and she is well on her way to becoming a nurse practitioner. So she has a lot of good, um, just a lot of good knowledge um, from the you know conventional medical world, from the holistic medical world. And so she um, always brings so much good info to the podcast. So welcome, Carly. We're glad you're back.
1: Thank you so much, Chelsea. I am so excited to be here. And yes, I have been exposed to a lot, a lot of different um, <laughs> insights from different people. And so I'm really excited to get to share some of what I know with y'all.
0: Yeah, and I have to say uh, this, we are doing this kind of last minute for us. <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of a spur of the moment uh, podcast, correct?
1: Right, that's just how we roll though. I, I, I messaged you today and I was like, hey, let's talk about this. And she's like, sure.
0: Yep. And the (laughs) podcast is coming out. Yeah, this podcast is coming out tomorrow. So this is like a one day turnaround. We never, we don't uh, usually do this. But we, um, you know, we're here for it, because this is really important topic. um, And we want you to be thinking about this, uh, especially as we're moving into this uh, new school year. So kick us off, girl. Let's talk about it.
1: Sure. Sorry to all the type A people that are probably shuddering at this last minuteness, but I think it's going to go just wonderfully. So let's kind of start by talking about ways we can optimize our immune system function. So like Chelsea was saying, it's really, really timely right now. So regardless of your choices, your viewpoints over the last 18 months or so, and just in life in general, I still think it's really incredibly important to be able to understand what you do have the power to control and what you do have the power to change with your own health. Um, And so as a nurse, I just felt like my conscience would not let me to continue to avoid talking about the immune system. So there's so many people that are in need and just need to understand how the immune system works, what some basic principles are that can really just make a big impact on you. So of course, I have to give you my disclaimer. So I'm a nurse, I'm not your doctor, not your healthcare provider, so please, please talk to them before you make any medical decisions or change anything about your medications or your supplements. It's just my job to be here to inform you, to hopefully inspire you to seek out your best health, um, speak with your doctor and seek out um, good guidance and wisdom from your doctor and do everything you can to honor your holy temple. I just have this really burning desire within me to help others learn how to be well, and that's what I'm hoping to share with you today.
0: Sweet. Let's start with how the immune system works. We're going to get a little, put your nerdy glasses on, everybody. Um, Right. But this is good. This is good to know.
1: Right. Because I think we, a lot of times, we hear little bits and pieces, especially before I was a nurse. I kind of understood little bits and pieces of how it worked. And so somebody would say some word like antibody or say some word like, virus and I kind of didn't really know what any of this was so I figured it would be good to start there and just have a good common denominator for everything I'll try to make it simple and not super confusing so essentially how the immune system works there's three basic lines of defense so that we have first our physical and chemical barriers then we have non-specific innate responses and then we have specific adaptive responses so all this is a lot of words to say there's three levels kind of three levels that a pathogen has to pass before it can start to cause disease so first off we have these innate barriers the first step is that we have like our skin our mucous membrane so our mouth nose eyelids all those different linings are effective barriers against microorganisms so actually our eyes have tears that which contain an enzyme called lysozyme so that lysozyme actually attacks bacteria and helps prevent, protect the eyes from infection. So there's a reason why we cry when we get something in our eye or we tear up. It's our body trying to clear that out and prevent infection from happening. And the same way we also have our airways have these little cilia, these little hair-like projections that actually will catch things that are inhaled Um, And so it's really, really interesting, too, that microorganisms in the air that we breathe in can become stuck to any mucus we have in our airways, and then it gets coughed up or blown out of the nose. So all these different things are trying to keep bacteria, viruses, whatever, out of our airways, out of our lungs, trying to get everything up and out of our body. So that's kind of the first step. Then we also have our digestive tract, which has different other secretions that protect against, let's say, like a stomach bug. So things in the intestine like our stomach acid, our pancreatic enzymes, our bile, all those things which we also need to digest our food properly, all those things are also protecting us against foodborne illnesses. So that's a really, really cool way of of seeing that even if we haven't been exposed to something in the past... Our body does have certain lines of defenses already in place to help protect us as best it can. And then we have our innate, nonspecific um, defense mechanisms. And so basically, once the body sees something that's foreign, it will actually increase the number of certain types of white blood cells, just like neutrophils and monocytes are the main two which actually go and engulf and destroy anything that's an invader. And so those those blood cells will actually increase in number over a couple of hours um, as new white blood cells are made from the bone marrow. And then if an infection keeps going, the number just keeps on increasing. Um, an interesting thing is that another um, type of blood cell called eosinophils, another type of white blood cell, I should say, will increase in allergic reactions and many parasitic infections, but usually not in bacterial or viral infections. So certain types of white blood cells, our body will actually increase based on whatever we've been exposed to, whatever the body actually sees or the immune system sees once it's entered our body and passed through that physical chemical barrier. And then finally, we have that part of the immune system that we all know and talk about the most. And that is our specific immune system And so the way that works, there's two different types of it. So there's the humoral part, which involves our antibodies. So we also know this part as mediated by B cells. So B cells actually make antibodies. So your body sees a pathogen or a component of a pathogen, which we can call an antigen for our purposes. And it will actually see, okay, I see that. I don't like that thing. I'm gonna make a specific thing to neutralize it. And that's called an antibody. And so then, if you get exposed to that thing again in the future, that antibody that your immune system made um, will actually go back to the new antigen and prevent that antigen from causing further disease. And so this type of immunity is usually more transient, but can last several months. And then in terms of the other type of this specific immune system, it's called cell-mediated immunity. And that involves our T-cells. We have our B-cells and our T-cells. Our B-cells cause the antibody response and then our T-cells are called cytotoxic or killer T-cells, which sounds like so scary. I don't know why. What they do, (laughs) (laughs) and what they do is they actually recognize, oh, this cell has been hijacked by a virus. I'm gonna go destroy it. And that's their entire job. And so there's some idea that that T-cell memory, which is specific to certain viruses or bacteria, actually lasts longer than B cell memory. B cell memory, again, is the antibodies. So this memory-based immune response, the antibody response is supposed to last less time versus the T cell response. Once you've seen it, you should have a good level of T cell immunity to it for a long time.
0: Nice, that makes me feel nice and protected and so. Right. Killer. There's Just so many layers.
1: It. Well, there's so many layers. Yeah, right. Killer T cells. It's so, <laughs> so scary. Um, But it, I feel like that's, it's kind of cool to know that God created all these layers to this design. It's yes. not like, oh, your only layer is antibodies. Good luck if you don't have antibodies or good luck if you don't have um enough saliva or whatever. Like there's so many different layers that it, it's almost, almost creates like a stop gap. So we understand that if one thing fails, there's still other things behind it, backing it up, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. God made these bodies absolutely amazing. So smart. And you can see just like, like setting us up for success here, right? As much as we can, but we're going to talk about, we got to oh, sure. help, help him out on, on our side as well. <laughs> yep. So. Yep.
1: We can't just rely on him to to do everything. We got to, we got to do our part as well. So we'll talk about that too. Um. So let's talk about how we actually get sick. I feel like we're always like, well, how does it happen? Like, you know, I went to a birthday party and then I got this stomach bug or whatever. So how do we get sick? It's by contact with infected people, surfaces, even breathing if the air is contaminated. And it's different based on how the pathogen, how that specific pathogen is actually transmitted. So we, turn, we learned about three different types of transmission in nursing school. So it's, this has actually helped me so much in nursing school. I was like, mind blown. There's three different types first off is airborne so this is going to be your most contagious this is like think about like old school tuberculosis like these people had to be so quarantined and sequestered it requires a very very special n95 mask with filtration they actually do fit tests on n95 masks for nurses that are working with TB patients because what it actually they'll actually basically spray a smell with the nurse having the n95 on if the nurse can still smell they know that it's not working. So these masks have to be completely sealed where they can't smell anything. It's very, very interesting. Hmm. So that's airborne. So that's one type of transmission. And then we have our good old fashioned droplet, which is most stuff, like the flu. um, And that we usually, as nurses, would use surgical mask um, and gloves. And the droplet precautions basically, it's just like what it sounds like. It's from respiratory droplets, so it's from talking. Let's say you you spit on someone when you talk to them, or <laughs> <Close> <laughs> as lovely talker, as that is, like in, close talker, right? Exactly, <laughs> like <saying> exactly, <laughs> just like that. And also, if you're singing, if you're coughing on someone, if you're sneezing, that's droplet transmission. But it requires the droplet to get into the other person, if that makes sense. Versus airborne, you can breathe the droplets into the air, and then the air can transmit it. Um, and then finally, contact. Like think about like like flesh-eating bacteria, like MRSA, <laughs> like the gross like skin kind of things going on that you just kind of can't touch it, but it's not gonna harm you to be in the same room with the person as long as you're not touching the actual infected area. So that's usually considered the least contagious type. Um, And so of course, these different types of transmission warrant different types of prevention and protection. Um, And so it really just depends on um, what exactly you're trying to avoid. And there's still so much we don't know about how things are transmitted. This is a very simplified version as well.
0: That's good, good info.
1: So now that i've told you how you can get a pathogen you're probably like what is a pathogen so we'll talk about (laughs) the two basic kinds um because i think we can really like overly vilify these things when really a lot of times they're not really harmful they're just trying to survive too you know so (laughs) you know of course me i'm gonna have compassion for the viruses i'm like oh poor babies (laughs) they don't want (laughs) they 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 need a host okay so the viruses any virus it's like a zombie is what i was telling chelsea earlier it like needs a host to survive it's not really alive in and of itself Um, what viruses need is they enter our body then they go to our cells they basically go into our cells and they say i don't like it in here they hijack them they take over they infect them which then allows the virus to replicate and make more virus infected cells so viruses are very unique because they can only reproduce by attaching to another organism's cells So it's like the ultimate like freeloader, like they're just kind of mooching off your house and your space and they're kind of destroying everything. Like they're having a party and they're not giving you anything in return. They're just, they're just hanging out.
0: (laughs) But they're, they're like making new buddies to hang out with them.
1: Right. They're like (laughs) trying to make a house party and like create more buddies because they're like, this house party is so dead in here. Got to like make, you know, liven it up a little bit, need more buddies. And they will just keep on going. They're eating all your snacks. They're depleting all your nutrients. That's what I mean by that. Um, and so viruses, you know, with that said, they almost always induce disease. Viruses are not like usually good. <laughs> so viruses are usually either like net, like no effect or net negative um, versus bacteria. Bacteria can be positive. About 99% of bacteria is pretty much harmless or beneficial. So fewer than 1% of bacteria can actually cause disease in people. So viruses are like a super simple molecular like structure to them versus bacteria are really complex. Um, I mean not compared to us, but compared to viruses. So they have like this thin, like rubbery cell membrane surrounding the fluid inside the cell. They can actually reproduce on their own. Um, so they just kind of chill on their own. They're kind of just long for the ride and they've existed for about three and a half billion years. They can survive in a ton of different environments, heat, cold, like they can it can survive in radiation like radioactive waste and the human body so in terms of sometimes when we have a fever that's usually more so to target a virus versus bacteria are pretty hardy and can can tolerate a lot of different environments just depending on which kind of bacteria um and so like i said most bacteria are actually harmless and some actually help by helping us digest our food, destroying disease-causing microbes as well. They actually can fight cancer cells sometimes and they provide essential nutrients. There is actually bacteria in our colon that when they see certain foods and fibers can create these really, really cool compounds like butyrate which are actually gonna feed the gut garden, so to speak, and fertilize it and make the gut even healthier. Um, so a lot of bacteria are really, really healthy. It's just the certain ones that are kind of the, the bad guys, the bad guy group of the bacteria that can cause issues. Um, and oftentimes it's actually because a virus, when you're exposed to a virus, your body is really, really busy fighting off the virus. It doesn't have as much you know, surveillance energy to spend looking at bacteria. And so it will be a little distracted, and bacteria can occur as a secondary infection to a virus.
0: Oh. Hmm.
1: Yep, yep. Like, most ear infections actually start with a virus, which is why they usually try at this point not to give antibiotics at first. But then if it's gone on for more than 7 to 10 days, they jump in with the antibiotic because they know the bacteria have probably taken hold. Aha. Okay. Right. Very, very interesting, right?
0: Yes. So kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. And what kind of symptoms does this stuff cause? I think people oftentimes like also vilify like, oh, I feel so horrible. Like, why can't my body like not be sick right now? But it's actually your body's way of protecting you, which is the cool thing. Again, God's amazing design. So symptoms we have in relation to a pathogen we are exposed to are usually due to inflammation or because your body's trying to expel the pathogen. So like our good old coughing, sneezing, post-nasal drip, mucus, all that stuff is your body trying to get it out. Um, Same thing with throwing up and same thing with diarrhea. Hate to break it to everyone, but they are perfectly adaptive responses to your body saying, this is not something that is good for me and trying to get it out. Um, Of course, you don't wanna take it too far, get too dehydrated, all that stuff. But the initial purpose, you know, does make a whole lot of sense in the context of what the body's trying to do.
0: Yeah, think if like if we didn't have that. I mean, if you could right. host all these things and you had no idea that and you just went on and then bam, you you know, if you didn't have all these right. symptoms to tell you. And that's just what symptoms and signs are there, just trying to com- communicate to you that, you know, this is this is what's going on. There's something not right here. We're trying to get it out. So we kind of have to have some appreciation for these things.
1: People. Right, some symptoms are so not evil, they're like a complete side effect. <laughs> right. right, and so one of those things is fever. I mean, fever is like crazy controversial, unfortunately. So think about a fever, like think about when you cook something, like let's say you're gonna cook like a chicken, okay? And you're putting it in the oven, What does the oven do? It kills off any possible bacteria and things that are on the chicken. Like we know, salmonella is a common pathogen that likes to hang out with chicken. So, if we're heating stuff up, it's going to kill off any germs that are present. And that's exactly what's happening with fever. It's your body raising the temperature so that whatever pathogen that's sensitive to that fever can die off. Um, And so, Unfortunately, a lot of us really, really rely on fever-reducing medications because, of course, fever is no fun. It's very uncomfortable. Um, but generally, a low-grade fever is a very adaptive response of your body trying to mount, basically trying to get whatever that thing is killed and out. Um, and if we don't let our body do a little bit of the work, um, we're not going to be able to get the benefit of our body actually doing the work of killing it itself.
0: Yes. I So and it's just it's so hard because i know a lot of parents you know schools you know if you have a fever you can't go to school and so right. parents are like i gotta go to work i gotta you know and so we're g- giving kids you know things to bring these fevers down but um that's not how god designed the body but i guess my question is what is that fine line or wh- what is the when do we need to worry because i have you know right i try I try not to give my kids um anything to bring their fever down unless it's getting too high. And so I get that question right. a lot. So what is what is that temperature?
1: So under 100.4, it's technically not even a fever. And even docs now, like since I've been in school, a lot of that thinking has changed. It used to be like anything above like 98.6, give give medicine. But even like pediatricians that I know and have talked with in my, in my pediatrics class, we talked about not interfering with fever until it gets above that. Because low-grade temperature is sometimes it can actually increase. Temperature can actually increase when someone's having a growth spurt. It doesn't have to just be infection. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it can increase for a variety of reasons, but if it's not over 100.4, it's usually not a concern. And then above 100.4, you really have to just know know yourself and know your family members. Like, what is your baseline? So that's why I always, like, I'm a big advocate of knowing what your baseline is. So, like, Let's say, so last time I was sick, I had a fever, and I knew that I was sick because I never, ever have a fever. I never have a temperature over, like, 97.5. So I was, like, 99.2, which is technically not a fever, but I was, like, no, I'm sick. I know I'm sick because I knew my baseline. So knowing mm. your baseline and then also knowing if somebody's acting really lethargic or they're very dehydrated, they can't keep fluids down, all that kind of stuff, you kind of abandon, abandon ship on the – um body killing it off you ha- really have to just keep in mind safety precautions definitely talk to your doc about you know what temperature they would be concerned with but honestly more and more pediatricians are becoming more progressive with this and saying that it really just depends it's not necessarily number based it's more so based on the child and their presentation so definitely communicate that with them um, but I think it's also really interesting to know your own baseline so you can assess too. I mean, cause your pediatrician doesn't know what your child's normal temperature runs. There's just a lot of nuance to it. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the fever, the fever debate. And then in terms of, we can also be asymptomatic and be hosting a virus. That's almost like if your if your body is like a ninja and it's attacking it, but it's silent. <laughs> so it's like ASAP. It's like in there, done, Bing, bang, boom. That's what we all kind of wish for, right? Because if it's asymptomatic, you usually have a lower load of whatever that bacteria or virus is. Um, and so that's the good thing is that you'd be less likely to express symptoms because your body's not having to work as hard to fight it off and less likely to spread, hopefully, if, in theory. Again, we don't know a whole lot of this for sure, but it's just good to, to be aware of.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I. That's – that's you wonder sometimes, like, why does somebody have – you know, is more symptomatic or whatever. Good. Okay.
1: Right, right. There's a whole lot to consider. Um so let's kind of go move into what you can do to to optimize your immune system's response to anything it it reacts to. So, let's say that we have so we have our immune system really has two kind of main functions, two main ways that we kind of judge it. So, is it smart and is it strong? Or is it one or the other? <laughs> so, a smart immune system, your immune system is fighting off the right things. So, It's not fighting its own body tissues by accident. That's autoimmune disease. It's not fighting off. It's not like mounting a huge response against pollen. Um, A smart immune system knows what to respond to. And that's just, you know, foreign invaders, pathogens, all that stuff. And not overreacting like the boy who cried wolf to your own body tissues or to allergens in the air, stuff like that. Um, And then we have our strong component to that so we also need our immune system to be strong so it needs to have like enough body to it to like really pack a punch so it doesn't really help you if your immune system is smart it only attacks the right things but it doesn't have enough strength to it to actually knock out whatever it's trying to get um and so we need that strength to really be able to effectively target and neutralize any foreign um, invader pathogen etc so we need both long story short
0: (laughs) i think mine is um being strong but not smart right now (laughs) right according to my uh, a lot of us have that thyroid dust (laughs) right that's unfortunate
1: us fun autoimmune people we usually have a a very strong immune system but not a smart one and the unfortunate thing about a strong but not smart immune system is that if your immune system is super busy fighting off whatever it is like your thyroid or in my case my i have type 1 diabetes the beta cells of my pancreas my body thinks is, is evil. So it's trying to fight those things off. So it's a little distracted. It's not as strong when it goes to target than viruses or bacteria that I'm exposed to. So that distraction could be playing into the fact that some people may have, be maybe more susceptible to getting sick if they have autoimmune. But of course, there's so many things you can do to optimize your body's response regardless of your of your individual context.
0: Right, right, we can build
1: it up. We'll build it up, that. baby. Let's talk about build, build it, it up. up. Baby. <laughs> so let's talk first. Let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> um, I was almost started singing that song. So sleep, oh,
0: please do sing. Sleep and circadian <laughs>
1: rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of our sleep and circadian rhythm, it's really, really important to be living in congruence with the way that God created us to live. And that includes getting out in the sun first thing in the morning, letting sun hit your eyeballs, um, getting your sun exposure, even if you're just sitting outside doing your quiet time, doing your devotional, um, walking in the morning and being very grounded and connected to God's rhythm of the earth is so innately healing. Um, And another part of that that you can pair with that is really just having a lot of presence and clarity of thought and mind and just kind of chilling in that moment and taking that moment to appreciate and have gratitude for for your situation for your life, so that's that's kind of number one. Um, what is often suggested. So there's some level of, you know, there's other strategies that I incorporate into into this podcast as well. So it's not just like conventional medicine, not just functional medicine, but let's also talk about like traditional systems of medicine like in Ayurveda and in traditional Chinese medicine. And so in Ayurveda, there are certain times of day where certain, they're called doshas, will predominate. So if you wake up before 6 a.m., they think your body will be more resilient to stress and it won't be as sluggish, and that includes your immune system. It also includes going to sleep before 10 p.m. So because at 10 p.m., Ayurveda calls it Pitta time, like P-I-T-T-A, which gives you your second wind. And we all also know that as cortisol. So all these different systems are all saying very, very similar things for a reason because they're all grounded in that same truth. So waking up before 6 a.m. or so is considered best. And going to sleep before 10, being very connected to the earth and to God's rhythm of of our lives.
0: Boom. I've got that covered.
1: (laughs) Chelsea has that one in the bag. I do not, everyone. (laughs) Everyone that knows me knows that I may or may not be texting them at, you know,
0: 1145. Yeah, I wake (laughs) up and I have these like late, I got this task done. I'm like, why are you up so late? Go to bed, sister working on it
1: it's a work it's a work in progress the rest of us i got on lock
0: (laughs) we all have our we all have
1: our things that we do well at. right that's right Um, that's right so the next cool thing i wanted to talk about that's kind of different like i'm not going to be like take vitamin c today like i really want to give y'all good good pearls to take home so there's a really interesting connection between oral hygiene and viral infection like i know that's very very strange to think of but again think about if your immune system is busy kind of chasing after some random thing like a bacterial infection in your mouth like let's say you have gingivitis let's say you have an infected tooth um really anything you have inflammation going on in your mouth those things are going to be a low-key stressor on your immune system and they're gonna be distracting attention away from what your body should actually be ready to fight which is any virus or bacteria that you get exposed to um you know outside of you so With oral hygiene, just making sure you're flossing, you're brushing your teeth. Um, One thing that I started doing when I went to my biological dentist is he suggested doing oil pulling with ozone-infused coconut oil. So ozone Mm. is like a special oxygen molecule that has um, one of the hydrogen molecules removed, I believe. And it's very, very antimicrobial, antibacterial. And so I put like a little spoonful of coconut oil in my mouth. I swish it around um, for 10 to 15 minutes every day. And that will actually help with your teeth be whiter. It helps prevent bacterial and viral infections of the mouth. And it keeps your gums like super healthy and all that good stuff. Um, And of course, like getting frequent dental cleanings, taking care of stuff early, like not letting plaque ride out forever and ever, all that good stuff.
0: We just did all the dental things at my in my house this week it's expensive oh girl i know it's like and i waited to the last minute you know right before school starts but it's always so expensive
1: and Mm -hmm. this this is a little plug for chelsea's breath podcast because the way that you breathe actually has a huge impact on your oral microbiome so you know that we have bacteria in our gut that are kind of you know driving a lot of things going on including our digestion our absorption same thing with our our mouth as well we don't just wanna kill everything off. We wanna we wanna encourage the right bugs to grow, which keeps the bad bugs down, so to speak. Um and so you can also use there's also like oral probiotic lozenges that exist as well. If oral hygiene is a big concern for you, definitely go see like a biological dentist, um holistic dentist. I have a few that I like in my area that I can link as well. Um but just taking care of yourself in that way is is huge um, because especially with, with any virus, there's certain bacteria in the the mouth. One of them is called Prevotella that if that starts to proliferate, if that starts to, to kind of gain steam, it's going to, again, take your immune system down and worsen outcomes with anything that you're exposed to.
0: mmm well, unlike with the mouth breathing, you know, you're missing the whole benefit of the nose nose breathing, like you were saying earlier, you know, right. it's, it's kind of one of the first lines of defense there with all the, the cilia and everything kind of protecting, trying to keep right. things out as, right. it's, as you're breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like your mouth and your throat and all that stuff is way less protective than breathing in through your nose. And unfortunately a lot of us just breathe through our mouths. (laughs) It's a stress response we go into when we're also wearing masks. It also encourages us to breathe through our mouth. So I have to like intentionally think when I'm wearing a mask, like make sure I'm breathing through my nose. Um, and let's talk about nutrition. I mean, this is a nutrition focused podcast, right? So let's talk about how we can optimize our nutrition. Um, so I'm just going to start out by saying that we need to optimize our blood sugar. So there's actually a study that I found where in actually in type two diabetes, which is an excess of insulin usually, or it's a relative insulin deficiency, but the, the body is putting out way too much insulin. Um way more insulin than it actually should need and so the blood sugars are high there's a lot of inflammation going on and the inflammation actually damages the beta cells and leads to high blood sugar high blood sugar is actually thought to cause dysfunction of the immune response um and then of course if your your body is so inflamed and your blood sugar is high it's not going to be able to control any pathogen that's invaded you it's not going to be able to respond quickly and easily um to that pathogen and so In diabetes, we're known, I can say we because I'm type 1 diabetes, we are known to have more susceptibility to infections, but if we can control our diabetes and do the absolute best we can to manage it and not ignore it, um, we can mitigate that risk. Um, and so just managing blood sugar, managing your insulin levels, um, feast to fast is a great way to do this. So that's Chelsea's program. It starts on this coming Monday. Um, and we'd love to have you hop into the group with us, but basically teaching you the principles of, you know, real food for real life, intermittent fasting, controlling insulin levels, controlling blood sugar cravings, resetting your metabolism and it's just really transformative for a lot of people it's not super dogmatic or restrictive and it still gets the job done in terms of kind of revamping your metabolism to be able to respond better to infection and pathogens
0: and yes we do do all those things and just so people know i mean i think we kind of forget that some people don't realize that type one diabetes is autoimmune right um and that type two diabetes is not and that your food choices and your lifestyle choices play. It's it's the role that they play that creates that situation, and so right it can be. um I don't want to make big claims here, but you know you can significantly improve that. Also.
1: Right, and regardless of what type of diabetes you have, like that was always the thing I was told is, oh well, whatever right. you have you have type one diabetes you don't need to care you can eat cake all day. Like, sure, I could eat cake all day, but I would feel horrible, A, and I'd be worsening my risk of so many different diseases. Like, then I'm going to give myself high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all these other issues, crazy chronic inflammation versus just taking a very common sense approach to managing my blood sugar and insulin levels. Um, it just makes a lot more sense to me, and I think it makes a lot a lot of sense to a lot of people with diabetes that I've talked to. So, you know, of course, talk to your doc and do all that good stuff, but even if you don't have diagnosed diabetes your blood sugar could still be totally out of whack and crazy. It could be going too low, and that's actually a pre diabetes sign.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Once you kind of get hit that first domino of eating real food, the rest of it kind of follows. So don't be overwhelmed by everything we're saying. You know, just yep. kind of start start with where you can. Feast of Fast is a great place to start.
0: Great. Let's talk about some new nutritional strategies. I mean, along right. with that. Any right, so along along with, things.
1: yeah, along with the feast to fast stuff, I mean, I think the most important thing, so don't get like hung up in these little, in the little minutiae of this, the most important thing is balancing out your insulin levels and your blood sugar because that's going to make sure that your immune system is ready to go. Then, um, in terms of nutrition, we also, again, like I was saying, there's other strategies, not just like functional medicine or nutrition or um, conventional medicine that can be helpful, So in traditional Chinese medicine, they talk about the concept of called dampness. And basically what dampness is, it's considered to be like an excess of moisture in the body. Um, And it's thought of as like, think of like a cold wet day in Seattle is like what dampness is. And so you want to avoid eating certain foods that can cause that condition of dampness in the body. And to connect it all back to what Chelsea and I talk about a lot, dampness is basically just going to be impaired, slow digestion, metabolism, just kind of sluggish. Like if you're you know, you know you li- you're in Seattle, cold, rainy day, you don't really feel like doing anything. You're curled up in a little ball, um, and you're eating candy all day. That is the opposite of what you should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's that's what dampness is. So in terms of avoiding dampness, the ways you can do that, avoid eating excess cold foods, really sweet foods and also dairy, especially if you don't tolerate dairy. If you tolerate dairy really well, this isn't really applied to you, but a lot of people don't tolerate dairy, especially when their guts messed up and dysfunctional. Um
0: I have I have to tell them cuz right, right, tell them the story. <laughs> And I was reading through the notes, and I, and I got to that part. I mean, just today, I was like, oh, that's good. I just made a reel, y'all, on Instagram, my very first, like, reel. Woo-hoo. I had to get ben, ben to help me. Um. And anyway, and it was making a whipped cream in my little whipped cream dispenser. And I'm, like, making whipped cream, and then I just, like, shot it all, a huge wad of it right in my mouth. And I was just laughing so hard. I'm like, oh, uh, avoid eating an excess of cold, sweet, and dairy foods. And I just literally, like d- – just but it I mean um, it was just so It funny. made me, oh it made gosh.
1: me giggle. I laughed so hard. I just I literally just sent it to you and you're like, Oh whoops. <laughs> um so ignore the reel.
0: Yes, ignore the reel for this.
1: But in terms of the, why the cold, sweet dairy foods, um It's because those things can actually feed overall pathogen overgrowth. They're going to slow down digestion. They're going to make your digestion more sluggish. So they're going to decrease your digestive fire, which is like your stomach acid, your enzymes, all that good stuff. So if you have a bunch of food just sitting in your gut and not being digested, that's going to cause more bacterial overgrowth, more stress on your body all that stuff. So when it comes to avoiding sickness, you want to give your body the most easily digested foods possible that are also nutrient dense. So vegetables, protein, make sure you chew your food, make sure you chew your protein because if you, you know, eat a hamburger in two bites, it's not going to be easy to digest. Um, And cooked foods like root veggies are really, really helpful. Sweet potatoes, potatoes, turnips, carrots, all those things. So those are less taxing on the body and Raw vegetables are also really hard on the body um, when you are kind of starting to feel under the weather. So personally, when I start to feel under the weather, I will avoid these certain foods that will cause dampness. And that includes peanuts, dairy, especially if it's not tolerated by you. For me, when I'm sick, dairy will throw me over the edge. So I avoid dairy in that case. Cold and sweet foods like ice cream, although that's exactly what we want when we're sick. is one of the probably the worst things you could do. It's just a super damp food and it's going to like kind of like freeze up and slow down your digestion. And then sweets of pretty much any kind. Those are my must avoids for when I first start to feel sick with anything. Um, even if I'm just run down from stress in life, I will kind of take those foods out for a couple days just to kind of get my digestive fire back.
0: That's good. I think that's, um, that's good advice for all of us, really. Not helpful if you're not feeling well.
1: Right, right. I think is in terms of when you start to not feel well, you can't just keep on waiting and just be a sitting duck and be like, I'm just going to wait for it to happen and I'm just going to keep eating candy and sugar because the unfortunate thing is that viruses and bacteria, once they start to, to get into your cells and stuff, they're going to they're start like asking you to feed it sugar and all the mm-hmm. things. So kind of avoid. Think, think of it as the little bugs wanting to be fed and tell them no. <laughs> That's
0: right. And please, people, do not drink Sprite and crackers like we did when we were young. I don't know if that was your parents' go-to, Carly, but like oh, my generation, for sure. that was for like sure. the thing. Like get your saltine crackers and your Sprite and that fixes everything. Right. But it does not.
1: <laughs> right. Get your natural alternatives. I like to do Zevia soda if I'm going to do soda. Um, if I'm nauseous or anything, like they have Zevia ginger ale um, that has real ginger in it that can balance out your stomach. And then like gluten-free crackers, um, of course, balance it with protein, carbs, all the things.
0: Well, and the thing, you know, one thing is, is that when we're sick, um, our bodies don't want to digest. It's it's they don't want to focus on really hard things to digest. Which right. Is, I think, one reason that we do kind of crave some of the simple carbs is because. Right. Um, we don't want to expend a lot of energy on digestion. But that doesn't mean to chow down on all the junky stuff. Um, broth. <laughs> right. Get some broth people. Real broth, right. not like chicken <laughs> noodle soup out of the Campbell's can, which is also – or or like the bouillon cubes. That was the other thing oh that, gosh, you know, no. we had when we were um, – <laughs> I know Brian, Brian always wants me to – that was like for so long. We Give me some – bouillon cubes and make you know I'm like, no that's not how you make it that's that's not how we do um no I refuse No, <laughs> nope make I
1: go. mean at least this is like your permission slip not to make yourself eat kale salad when you're sick you know like I'm telling you not <laughs> to eat not to eat cold hard to digest foods like please don't there you go. please don't force yourself to eat something that t- sounds horrible you know you know do your yep. best to do easy to digest things that aren't like full of horrible ingredients <laughs> Um. There you go. So let's get to the juicy stuff. Let's talk about supplements. That's what everyone wants to know, I'm sure. That's in addition right. to all the above. <laughs> so I'm gonna explain kind of each supplement, what it really does in our body. Because I, I personally, I'm just like such a questioning person. Like if someone's like, take blah blah blah, and I'm like, well, why? Like, what is it gonna do? How do I know? Um. And so I'm gonna try my best to explain why for each thing. So we'll start with our good old vitamin C. So vitamin C is a, an, an antioxidant. So it was actually a 2009 study from Stroli and Hahn um, that showed that the prophylactic intake of vitamin C, so prophylactic meaning in advance or preventative, like a daily dose of vitamin C, may slightly reduce the duration of illness in healthy people. It said it doesn't affect incidence or severity. It just reduced duration. But honestly, who cares? Um, and it's one study. And so I always say like one study is not like the law. it's this one group found something and there's always like so many confounding variables um and so the way that the vitamin c works is that you know some immune system cells actually depend on vitamin c to do their jobs especially what's called phagocytes and t-cells um those two different types of immune cells need vitamin c to do their jobs and if you're depleted in vitamin c they're not going to be as quickly mobilized and sent out like soldiers to the front line
0: And so if you overeat sugar or you're really stressed, then you are likely depleted in vitamin C.
1: Oh, girl, you got me right there. I was like, she's about to do it. Okay, then let's talk about why we don't just want to take like some rando vitamin C from CVS. (laughs) That's better than nothing, (laughs) (laughs) but we want to get real food-based vitamin C. So the ones I like are called vitamin code, raw vitamin C, or pure radiance vitamin C. And why is because those vitamin C sources actually have bioavailable copper, which assists in immune function, actually optimizes vitamin D absorption and vitamin C that we find most places is just ascorbic acid. It's a very synthetic kind of GMO, kind of junky version of vitamin C. It still is technically vitamin C. It's just not from a real food source. So like ascorbic acid from CVS is going to be like made out of corn versus the raw vitamin C from vitamin code or pure radiance is made out of like amla fruit and other berries and oranges and all that good stuff. Of course, you know, eating foods that have vitamin C in them is even better because then you're going to have all those nutrients packed up together. Like God doesn't make mistakes when he makes foods that have all these complementary nutrients in them.
0: Mm-hmm. and they're like you said they're bioavailable which means your body is going to recognize a, a real food source than a synthetic source and it's just going to yeah get in there and assim, assimilate so much more beautifully and work so much better
1: yes exactly exactly and then vitamin d let's talk about vitamin d vitamin d can be somewhat controversial because it does act more like a hormone than it does as a vitamin in our body um and so Our optimal vitamin D levels, it kind of varies widely based on, you know, different, different doctors, different kind of schools of thought. Some people say, you know, 50 to 60, some people say 60 to 80. But what I found in my, in my research is that about 40 plus, so 40 nanograms per milliliter or higher has been shown to promote antiviral activity. Of course, they want antiviral activity. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) Yes, it does. So in the journal, I think it's called the Journal of Nutrients. um, There's a study from 2020 showing that serum vitamin D levels were found to be significantly lower in critically ill septic patients. A septic patient is just somebody that has a systemic infection um, that's kind of taken over their whole body. So of course, they're very, very sick. So vitamin D was actually correlated with worse outcomes in sepsis. Um, and the reason why they discovered is because there's decreased concentrations of the certain antimicrobial protein um, and it's cathelicidin is the name of the protein. And so what that actually does, that protein, is that the antimicrobial protein is found in, again, like our secretions, so our, our snot, our spit, all those things, and this finding really strengthened the theory that vitamin D status actually affects those protein levels, and because of that is why it's so critical in infection control. So that's one of the mechanisms by which vitamin D works, is by increasing concentrations of that antimicrobial protein to help your body's, you know, that innate immune system, that first layer of those barriers to be able to fight off really easily. And it also seems to decrease cytokine production. So cytokine production, um, cytokines are these inflammatory molecules that your body puts out. It's kind of like putting up a flare when there's an emergency. Um, And those, those flares are kind of wreaking havoc at the site. And it will stop that in its tracks and prevent the immune system from overreacting. Um, Because when the cytokine response happens, then your immune system goes, oh my gosh, send all the T cells and the B cells and get it all going. But your immune system can very easily overshoot the mark and overreact, which then causes more inflammation. So it kind of, it modulates, it's kind of balancing out that smart and strong side of the immune system. It's making sure that it has enough strength with that antimicrobial protein. And it also is making sure that it's, that it's staying smart and not overreacting to the wrong things or overreacting to, you know, maybe a really small insult virus or bacteria.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I have been, um, well, my vitamin D was so low, uh, but that was back in January when I had my, um, my test done. I was really kind of shocked though, but, um, it came up really quickly when I did some, you know, I kind of alternated vitamin D drops and then getting extra sunshine and it, shot right back up to in the seven, you know, about, about 70. So, um, you can get that up, but it's really good to know what it is. And I think a lot of people are surprised to find their low. So right. Something to get tested.
1: It's so, so important. Definitely talk to your doc about getting that added to your, to your lab, um, your next lab slip, because it's something that's like so important to know. And very, very few doctors actually check it. Unfortunately, it's getting more common. We're just not there yet. Like with a lot of things, (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm hmm. It's coming around.
1: It's coming around. We're, we're getting there. Um, the next supplement kind of combination I want to share about. And the reason I'm sharing it as a combination is because they're very synergistic is zinc combined with what's called quercetin. So the zinc with quercetin for zinc, you're going to want, um, you know, just about 30 milligrams a day is what's considered OK to supplement for a woman who's menstruating or cycling and about 60 milligrams a day for men and non-menstruating women because it can apparently, the higher the zinc, if you overdose on zinc, it can actually can disrupt hormones a little bit. There's something to do with testosterone. Um, So you don't wanna take too, too much as a menstruating cycling woman. Um, But the zinc itself is anti-inflammatory and actually has direct antiviral activity. So what that means is that when they study in labs, they have these plates with viruses on them, they will put some zinc in the plate this is a very simplified version, and it actually will slow down the growth or stop the growth. Um, and so zinc deficiency, if you don't have enough zinc, can actually reduce, you know, both ways that your immune system works in terms of, you know, the existing innate mechanisms and the adaptive responses with the B and the T cells. Um, and so, of course, and go ahead. Don't we?
0: Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, don't we I'll probably jump in the gun here? Don't we, um, <laughs> we do have to be kind of careful, right? About how much zinc we take so we're not getting out of balance with the copper. You right. You know, the zinc and the copper, they're like what I like to call the frenemies. Um, like <laughs> A and D. It's like they need each other. You need, they need to like kind of be working well right. together, right? And so I think, you know, a lot of us want to take zinc proactively, but um, can that get us into trouble?
1: Yeah, it actually can. So that's why you don't want to take too, too much zinc and you don't want to take it unopposed for too long. That's also why I recommend taking the vitamin C sources from real food because those vitamin C sources contain copper. Okay, and so vitamin C-rich foods have copper as well. Um, but you may also at some point, I think at, at some point I'll probably get like a NutriVal or some other spectra cell type of test, like a micronutrient test to see like where I'm at with different nutrients because I've definitely been supplementing with zinc for a while. And... Again, this is why we do this is because it's not so simple as, oh, take this one thing. Everything that you take could possibly throw something else off.
0: (laughs) So that's why I always
1: say, like, please talk to your doctor. Please get all the tests done necessary. Um, Like if you're supplementing vitamin D and it's actually because, you know, you have some sort of absorption issue – or you have celiac disease, or you have a chronic infection that's preventing you from being able to absorb vitamin D, you know, you want to know the actual reason why things are out of balance. So always testing. But yeah, that's a great point, making sure that all your levels are kind of balanced. There also are supplements of zinc combined with copper, if that's something you're concerned about.
0: Yeah, I want to take one of those tests too, because I would love to know kind of where I'm at at with things. Also, um, the zinc self test test, is right. a good thing to, to do. We can link to that in the show notes. Those are simple, um, at home tests that you can do for yourself where you, um, you hold liquid zinc in your mouth and, and see how long it takes for you to, to recognize its, um, flavor, taste or whatever. Um, and or if you don't, you...
1: yeah, if you don't at all, then you know, you don't have enough zinc. <laughs> right, right. And so, right. yeah,
0: so we have a, we have a, a zinc self-taste test, kind of the instructions on how to do that. So if you want to know, you can go check that out.
1: Right, exactly. And so, of course, with the zinc stuff, just kind of to wrap up the zinc stuff, we know that our innate immune system is the body's first line response. And so that zinc, if having enough zinc on board is really going to help prevent the virus from penetrating, replicating before an adaptive immune system can develop that targeted protection. Because, again, the innate immune system is like immediate like those chemical and physical barriers, and then the white blood cells, and then the adaptive immune system later on, like the B cells and the T cells, takes a couple days. It can take up to a couple weeks for your body to actually create those responses. And so giving your body as much ammo as it can for the first round of defense is really important.
0: Perfect. And I, I just ordered the... Um... The zinc and quercetin combination that from right. organic Olivia, so I'm excited. I should be. Yeah, in.
1: yeah. So let's talk about why I like that one. I yeah. wish it had copper. If it had copper, it would be perfect. <laughs> I'll send Olivia an email. But my um, <laughs> one of my one of our colleagues, Olivia, she's an herbalist. Um, so her company's called Organic Olivia. She has a zinc with quercetin and actually EGCG combination, Chelsea, that really just i know right we love us some egcg or ecgc i never remember i never say it right (laughs) i'm just gonna just just gonna ignore i'm just gonna have to like dub it over so the quercetin itself is actually a zinc ionophore so what that means is that actually opens up our cells channels to allow zinc inside the the cell to fight off viruses so like we just talked about zinc is not like an antibacterial zinc is specifically very antiviral and so if the zinc is hanging out in your bloodstream and the virus is inside your cell having a party, it's not really doing a whole lot. So the quercetin's tends actually opening up that cell membrane and allowing the zinc inside.
0: Mm, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, so that's why I like that specific product because if I'm ever having anyone that I know that's saying, well, I'm taking zinc, what is it doing? I'm like, you really don't know um, if it's effective, unless you're taking the course 10 with it alongside of it to make sure that it's actually getting in. And I like that it's being dosed at the same time that it's one product. And so you're taking it together.
0: Yeah. That makes it easier. One less thing, sure. one sure less thing does. you have to take. <laughs>
1: um, and let's talk about, I know you wanted to talk about the glutathione versus NAC situation. Yes. So you want to intro that?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I just had a question the other day. I had recommended um, the NAC, the N-acetylcysteine. And we've talked about that here before, um, which is a precursor to glutathione. And so, um, actually, it was Christy, my best friend. She's like, well, should I get this? Why why don't I just take the glutathione? (laughs) Right. And so... I thought that as we're talking about this, that you, you'd probably give a really good explanation of that. It's just, um, right. anyway, so that's, let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So glutathione, we all, it's like the little catchphrase, like the body's master antioxidant. Woohoo. Right. So that's lovely and all right. Glutathione is this really, really important antioxidant. So we need it to turn off inflammation. Like that is of course a really important side of glutathione and glutathione and NAC both have a place in immune system support. But in terms of just overall prevention, NAC is really preferred. And the reason why is because it's not only a precursor to the glutathione, so your body could always convert it to glutathione. If there is a bacterial infection, a viral infection, something brewing, um, even if it's just like a slight like dysbiosis or bacterial imbalance, it can actually go in and disrupt bacterial biofilm. So I talk about this a lot, like I think I love talking about biofilm on this podcast. and so. The bacterial biofilm, if it's covered by a biofilm, your immune system can't see it, and then it can't attack it and get rid of it. So it's kind of like an invisibility cloak from Harry Potter. <laughs> it's probably a, it's, pro- it's probably probably the better example. So it's like cloak of invisibility. It goes over goes over the bacteria, and this is actually uncloaking it, saying, "Look, here's this bacteria." And then allows the immune system to take care of it. So if it's always covered by biofilm, it's going to be a low-grade stressor on the immune system that the body can never really recognize truly and can't fight off. And having those low-grade stressors, like we talked about, whether it's in our mouth, our gut, whatever, any low-grade dysbiosis or bacterial or, or viral infection can predispose us to having worse outcomes for any kind of stress that we go undergo in our lives. perfect so that's our knack that's our lovely our knack so you can say n-acetylcysteine or you can say knack um most of us cool kids say knack i'm just kidding um it's just it's it's, n-acetylcysteine is a really long thing to say Um, it is yeah one important thing to note for that is that it must be taken on an empty stomach if you want that bacterial biofilm busting protection because if you take it with food it's going to help you like digest your food which is like cool and awesome Um, But it's not going to support your respiratory system and it's not going to disrupt bacterial biofilm because it's going to be a little busy helping you digest your actual food. I'm also back to my friend Olivia, the zinc, the zinc queen. So she also has this guardian bundle um, that actually will help specifically target that like damp condition that we talked about in Chinese medicine. So a lot like cold, um, wet, stagnated, like kind of just gross, like you know, your body is not firing on all c- cylinders. So she has a tea it's called microbiome tea and it has like cinnamon, orange peel, clove, et cetera. Um, that's supposed to be again, synergistic with zinc to help it get into your cells. And there's also a tincture that actually will balance out the gut microbiome. It's called microbiome guard, and it's going to reduce overgrowth of bad bacteria, which could cause again, a secondary infection. And like we were talking about, if the immune system is so busy fighting off a virus, then bad bacteria that were already present are having a field day. Um, <laughs> and I wrote in our little notes here, it's like if a teacher is disciplining one kid and then the rest of the class on the playground is like, look, she's distracted, run for it or go haywire, <laughs> um, start, you know, climbing to the top of a tree because the teacher's distracted. So, our t- you know, the immune system being the teacher and then the kid is that one troublemaking kid and then the rest of the kids start to mutiny as well. So think about it like that that if your immune system is busy fighting too many little stressors at once, it's going to be distracted from big
0: stressors. I love all these analogies. I think they're very helpful.
1: We're just we're in the creative flow today. We're we are, we are good. We're we going.
0: Are,
1: we are. <laughs> um and let's talk about like nose sprays. <laughs> so, I think this is a cool thing is that with the thing about like, you know, airborne or droplet um transmission, is that our nose is a big, like, entry point for a lot of stuff. Um, Especially, like, even, like, allergies. Like, if we get pollen in our nose, we get anything, we get a cold, whatever. What's going to come in through our nose a lot of the time. Um, Especially, we don't walk around usually with our mouths gaping open, you know? (laughs) Unless we have a mouth breathing problem. Right, I was going to say, (laughs) wow. And so one way to kind of support... Are, um, you know those antimicrobial peptides that are already present in our nose is to use nasal sprays you can just kind of use them like as needed um there's one called x um, that's a mixture of xylitol and grapefruit seed extract and there's a couple case reports on it showing potential antiviral activity there's no big company that like right. benefits from it so it's hard to get like a real study but there's a couple case reports that I've seen and that it looked really really promising and it's also not something that really has a whole lot of downside to it because it's mostly saline and then xylitol which is kind of just like what we talked about it's like a biofilm disruptor so it's going to break up bacterial biofilm um in the nose so it's not only assisting with um kind of flushing out the nose from anything you breathe in over the course of the day but also helping kind of mitigate allergy symptoms and irritation dry nose all that kind of stuff um And then, so that's the X-Lear. And then we also can use silver, um, colloidal silver spray. Um, You can either use the vertical spray or the throat spray, just depending on what um, you prefer. But again, most of us are getting most of our air in through our noses, at least hopefully. Um, And so to support our immune system there, um, there's a couple brands like I like Sovereign Silver. Um, Argentin 23 is really good, but it's kind of strong. So just watch out. I usually do the the X-Lear first. Um, and that kind of just kind of calms everything down and then the silver afterward. Um, but that's what I do on a daily basis to kind of help protect myself against whatever may be, because unfortunately I don't do enough to reduce my stress and I'm a little too busy. And so I'm trying to do other things that I can to mitigate risk
0: of getting sick. Um, Cause I can't, oh, I can't have like even one day out <laughs> right now. <laughs> that was good. I was going to ask you if you use one or the other, but you use both.
1: Right. I do the X layer, a couple sprays first, and then I do a couple more um, on each side of the silver. Make sure you wipe it down and you also don't want to share nose sprayers with other people in your family. That probably goes without saying, but I feel like people don't know that
0: (laughs) Yeah, because
1: you're going to spread whatever, whatever bugs are in their nose um, to your nose. You don't want that. Mm -hmm. Not like literal bugs, like bacteria.
0: (laughs) Or Well, it depends. Bacteria, viruses, viruses. you never know. (laughs) You're right. There might right. Be bugs in there.
1: Very true. Don't want to speak oh, too soon. Brother.
0: <laughs> well, that is awesome. That is such good information. We will link to talked about a lot. Link to a lot of this in the show notes. Right. Um, so you know how to find this stuff. I also have the um, my master wellness and supplement list. You know. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is on there. Um, for those of you who are on full script, um, you can find a lot of this stuff on there, too. not everything, but some of the things. So anyway, we'll have a lot more information in the show notes. Um, my goodness, we are we had an hour. We get on here, girl. we can we can talk it up, but we can um, we can not, we
1: can talk. That's our strength, we can talk not it math.
0: Up. not math we have been battling that this week um okay but before we go because last time I had you on I forgot to ask you the anchor question so tell me what is your anchor meal these days it is egg roll
1: in a bowl which is like the Mm. best thing ever
0: So so good,
1: and it's way more healthy than it sounds. (laughs) Like what people are like, what is it like? Wonton strips? No, it's like (laughs) it's cabbage cooked, you know, because you got to support not having a damp digestive system, you know. And um, grass-fed beef. Um, I use coconut aminos and like all the good things, sesame oil at the end of cooking so it's not oxidized. Um, All that good old stuff, Um, ginger and scallions and all that. So I love that. My whole family loves it too. And every time I make it. They're like, wow, and that's the same way over here. Like, right, my whole family right.
0: likes it. It is on the menu this week for uh, week one of Feast of Fast, and I try to make extra because they either gobble it all up. I mean, these two boys, they can mow down. Some right, food. I don't know how um, you're keeping ch- keeping up with that. Mm, I don't either, and so we <laughs> rarely have any leftover. But anyway, it's a good one. Okay, how about an anchor verse? So this is
1: Isaiah forty-one ten, and it's from the message. And before I read it. Just gonna ask everyone to take a little deep breath. Through your nose. Through your nose. Nose. (laughs) Nose breathing. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) Don't stress about the nose breathing though. Um but I just wanted to take a second to remind all of us of who's ultimately in control here. So this verse really helps remind me of that and just Knowing that we can do everything we can within our power to honor our temple, to be healthy as possible, but we all ultimately aren't in control of any of our outcomes. And so allowing ourselves to be okay with that and allowing, you know, allowing him to take our fear is a really, really important step in just optimizing your mental health as well during this time. Isaiah forty one, <laughs> verse ten. Don't panic, for I am with you. There's no need to fear for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. Remember, he's in control. We are not. All we can do is our best. Um, Seek good counsel. Use our God-given wisdom and just step back and let him do the rest.
0: Amen. And that is the perfect way to bring this podcast to an end. Thank you so much, Carly, for coming on. I always love when you do. You're always invited. Let's do another one soon. Oh, friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon.